our good, Father, if we are able to glorify you. Lord, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned in my prayer, we are addressing marriage and divorce as much as Jesus addresses it here this morning. Uh, I've heard that marriage is like fly fishing or square dancing or eating rice with chopsticks in that uh, it looks easy until you try it. Marriage is like gardening. There's often a difference between courtship and marriage, and, and that's like the difference between the pictures that you see in that seed catalog and what actually comes up in your garden. Uh, with both of them, there is a lot of other variables involved. A husband and wife were arguing with each other once in a very hurtful way. And the husband said to his wife, how can someone so beautiful be so stupid? Which is a terrible thing to say to your wife. And the wife responded, God made me beautiful so that you would marry me. He made me stupid so I would marry you. Well, without a doubt, marriage is hard. That's part of the reason why God created it. Even foreseeing, I think, that we would need the creation of marriage to work out our rough spots. Sadly, mankind created what we think is the solution to the difficult spots of marriage, and it's called divorce. We're going to see here this morning that this is this sad solution that man has created. It is not new to our scene on this earth. It doesn't solve anything completely. And God is not subject to man's divorce decree. So we're looking, as I mentioned here, at divorce and remarriage. Andrew J. Churlin, a sociologist, wrote a book called The Marriage Merry-Go-Round. And in it, he describes the United States of America as being the most marrying, divorcing culture in the Western world. Now, that, that statement is a little bit skewed because the fact is, is a lot of the Western world, say over in Europe and such, uh, marriage is falling in such ill repute that people just aren't getting married. I remember even 15 years ago uh, getting to know um, an intern that I had that was actually from Sweden, and she expressed to me, she said, you know, talking about her and her fiancé were getting married, and she said, we are the only ones of our social circle that's even considering marriage. She said, people in my country just don't get married anymore. She said it's only Christians that do. So that's what is meant when the sociologist wrote, it is, we are the most marrying and divorcing culture in the Western world. Uh, sadly, here in our nation, it was in the 1970s that um, attorneys, which are politicians, or politicians are commonly attorneys, came up with the idea of no-fault divorce, where one party in a marriage can simply, if they wish to be divorced, the divorce can take place. This was, this was not in existence prior to the 1970s. Prior to this, there had to be some 
finding of guilt on the part of one of the parties in a marriage. And the marriage could only be severed thus legally by an act that justified it, such as adultery. Jesus continues mentioning in our passage this morning what the Mosaic Law states and then compares it with God's standard. And we're also going to see how the attorneys of that day messed with it. But we go on in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in verses 31 through 32 of Matthew 5 where we read Jesus' statement. It was, all, uh, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, as Jesus has been doing at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, he is deconstructing, if you will, the, his hearers' understanding of the commands of God and how they relate to the righteousness of God. The commands of God specifically in the Old Testament and how they relate to the righteousness of God. And in all of these situations, he's saying, okay, this is what you've heard. This is what has been taught. But I'm going to tell you this way up there in the clouds where you can't even see it. That is God's standard in this area. Similarly, we see... Uh, well, and he's already done this with murder and, and that God's, uh, compared to God's standard of righteousness, anger makes one as guilty as if they were a murderer. And same way with lust, in God's, compared to God's standard of righteousness, lust makes a person guilty before God as if they were an adulterer. So the similarity, where, why does Jesus move now and pick on marriage and divorce? The similarity with the two commandments before would be the severity of the sin in comparison with God's standard of righteousness. Being that Jesus, the, the bomb that he drops is, that person is made to be an adulterer. And, and, and in the sense, in the same way, if the two commands that come before would be, under the Mosaic law, guilty of a capital crime. You know, what I love is people ask me, tell me about your church. Tell me about Harvest Fellowship. What do you love about Harvest Fellowship? My, my number one description of this church family is that I tell them, Harvest is a place that unlike any other that I have seen, that is full of people that have been Severely broken by the Lord and put back together by His grace. And, and I mean that honestly. As a body of Christ, I want to get this across first of all. We are a redeemed people. God is in the redemption business. And that's important, I think, to state because particularly for some reason when it comes to divorce, as much as it has been abused in our nation, for some reason 
it is treated in the church like the unforgivable sin. And, and I could go into that for different reasons why I believe that. But we are re a redeemed people. God is in the business of redeeming our lives, redeeming our past, our histories. And we are to be a people of grace, living in grace, graciously saved in Christ and graciously growing in Christ. Now, and I want to communicate that first of all. And if, and if you feel having divorce in your history, because a number of us do, if you feel condemnation from this passage is because of that, you have my permission to review Romans 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But continuing on, I want to state, rather than simply following the world's lead in this area of marriage and remarriage when it comes to divorce, we need to look at divorce as God sees it. We need to look at divorce as God sees it. Now notice, Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, it's going in this same pattern, as I mentioned, uh, of the previous commands to before this, that he points out. A and notice that he talks about whoever divorces his wife. So he brings this up in the context of if this should happen. This is, this is not in any way of the same nature of the two commands that Jesus refers to prior to this that fall into the Ten Commandments of thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not commit adultery. This allowance is different than the commands that Jesus references earlier, as I said. The, to, the, to best understand this issue, let's look at God's, I'd, I'd like to say, God's commentary taught by Jesus here in Matthew 19. And you can turn there and keep your finger uh, there in your Bible because we're going to uh, jump back and forth. Or you can look on the back side of your um, notes there in your bulletin. I, we, I actually put the verses from Matthew 19 on there as kind of a cheat sheet uh, for us. <clears throat> But in the situation of Matthew 19, different than the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is up in Galilee. Okay, he's up there with fishermen. He's up there with, with people that are very close to the Gentile regions. He's up there with much more Gentilized Jews. In Matthew 19, he is in Jerusalem. He is dealing with Jewish lawyers. He is dealing with Jewish teachers. He's dealing with Jewish rulers. And so he's in the Matthew 19 is a situation where he's being asked a question by someone who's trying to trip him up or trying to expose him to criticism. And so we look at Matthew 19 together. It says, and the Pharisees came up to him and, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's a novel idea. And said, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command 
one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed. Notice they talk about command, and Jesus says, it's really allowed. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. We live in a contractual culture, a culture that lives and dies by contracts, right? Think of what it takes to sell a house. Contracts are written by lawyers to make it so that both parties are satisfied with it and to make sure that the, the contract is binding by law. Therefore, it's, they're written by lawyers. When a contract expires, both parties are no longer bond, bound by it. If one party wants it out of the contract, they simply ask their lawyer to find a way out of the contract and that lawyer thus interprets the contract law based on the contract. If one party feels that their contract wasn't honored, they can enlist their lawyer to help them sue the other party in the contract. And somehow, lawyers from beginning to end and everywhere in between make money in the whole process. And contract law is written by lawyers up in uh, state senates and such like that. In the Jewish culture, there were also attorneys that would interpret the Mosaic law. Uh, Jesus sometimes would get challenged by a lawyer. And uh, oftentimes scribes ended up both recording but also interpreting the Mosaic law as lawyers do today. And the law that was being interpreted here, okay, so we're, we step two steps away from Matthew 5 here. That's always dangerous. But Jesus is talking in Matthew 19 on divorce, and they're challenging him saying, well, why did Moses say this? And so the point that they're going back to is Deuteronomy 24. And what it states in Deuteronomy 24 is this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Now, so far, Moses is describing a situation that is going on. He is not saying... This is what you should do. He's describing the situation in the Jewish culture, which was rampant. <clears throat> and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. The principle here, the biblical principle here is one of sexual morality. And uh, having seen this situation in Liberia, when it comes to adoption, uh, and when it comes to orphanages. Let me kind of explain my opinion of what the law is trying to fix here in the Jewish culture. Okay, So in Liberia, 
you have orphanages and, and Liberia being so war-torn for a period of time, you would have children who had one or two parents, but the parents could not take care of them. And so the parents might choose to bring their child to an orphanage. And some orphanages would not go through the legal process in which that child would have their, the rights of the parents uh, severed in agreement with the parents and, and go through the legal process so that that child could be adopted. Okay? Some orphanages were kind of like store your child here. I don't mean to make them like put a bad name on them or something like that but some and and some parents treated it that way i the child's going to live mo almost more like a boarding school i'm going to like put my child there and then maybe when i need them cuz children are commodities in that area when i need them i'll go and get them okay what i believe that the law is remedying here is a very convenient divorce in a situation of well you know where a man says, you know, I'm not really happy with you right now, and I kind of want to go play the field, so I'm going to write you a certificate of divorce, but don't worry, I might come back and get you. All right? So, so that's what the law is saying. The law is speaking to the idea that if a husband writes his wife a certificate of divorce, and she then goes and remarries, because that is the only way that a woman in that culture would be able to provide for herself, which remarry. And that husband divorced her. The first husband is not allowed to come back and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for you again. You could see how that would get really weird really fast. So anyways. But understand that in the day, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, there were different rabbis that taught differently on the issue of divorce. Again, like lawyers today, lawyers that day would interpret the law. Okay, you can do this and get away with it. Oh, you can do this and get away with it. Actually, I'm going to say this. So, so the school of Shammai, that rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, could, taught that a man could not divorce his wife unless he found that she had committed adultery. Maybe prior to their uh, wedding ceremony, during their betrothal, or maybe while they were married. The school of Hillel taught that a man may divorce his wife for any reason, even if she just burned his dinner. Literally. If she burned his dinner, he could say, oh, you know what? Here's your certificate of divorce. Goodbye. The reason why the Mosaic Law said, write her a certificate of divorce was because if a man just said, get out of here, that without the legal ability for, to get remarried again, she would be destitute. There are actually still, in Orthodox Jewish communities, there are like thugs that Jewish wives will hire to go and threaten their husbands because the husbands have kicked them out of the house but have not given them a certificate of divorce. And then by Jewish law, that wife cannot get remarried. So this was even going on in the days prior to the law. And so that's why the Mosaic Law says, write her a stinking certificate of divorce so that she's not destitute. And by the way, husbands, if you, if you kick her out, you can't take her back again. 
none of this convenient. Yeah, I just don't want you here right now. Okay, <clears throat> so also Rabbi Akiba actually taught that a man may divorce his wife if he just found another woman that he preferred over her. So in Jesus' day, divorce among the Jews rivaled that of America today even. In fact, it's probably the only culture in the history of the world that rivals the American culture today when it comes to divorce. Interestingly, if you notice with all this, only the man in Jewish culture could initiate divorce. <clears throat> so rather than uh, no-fault divorce, you'd call the Jewish uh, idea of that day any fault of the wife divorce was the rule of the land. So the first clarification that we need to make on this, as I try to move ahead a little faster than I have been, being miserable does not justify divorce. As, as part, first and foremost, what I think we can take away from what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 as well as 19. The common thinking is, I'm miserable, it must be this person that I'm stuck with. And the fact is that God designed men and women, he designed us differently than each other. And husbands and wives, we are going to grate against each other. We are going to run into those men are from uh, Venus or men are from Mars, women are from Venus moments. Who is this person? It's actually God's design for us to grow. Notice in Matthew 19 when it comes to speaking of God's design. Matthew 19 verse 7. The Jews assumed that God had commanded divorce to happen in a certain way. But Jesus corrects them by saying that God simply allowed for it rather than commanded anything regarding it. I pointed that out before when they say, then why did Moses command it to give a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. The law made an allowance because of the hardness of the heart. And it was also because of the vulnerability, as I mentioned, of the wives. The husband was required to give her a certificate of divorce, making her eligible to remarry. And the past husband was not able to remarry a woman, thus taking advantage again of her desperate state. Jesus refuses to speak of divorce as a part of God's original plan when it was a concession because of the men's misogyny of the Jewish culture of that day. So the question here is that's being asked of Jesus isn't can a man ever divorce his wife? The question that's being asked in Matthew 19 is is there any limit to the reasons why a man can divorce his wife. And Jesus is like, you guys are just thinking on the wrong level here. Let's get back to what God's original design was. Let's start there. No matter, no amount of misery from burned food or having to watch a younger woman walk by during a man's midlife crisis or anything else justified a man sending his wife away. But they were still doing it in that day, just as today. So God made an allowance for women to be freed to remarry. We know from Micah 2.16 that God hates 
divorce. So Jesus here in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 is kind of bringing us to an understanding here of what are the basics of this. And the basic summary of Jesus is, I, but I say to you, and from this we want to also understand being divorced does not justify remarriage. This is the basic summary He says, I want to make sure that I get this across. Divorce may happen to a man or a woman today. But remarriage may not be allowed for in God's eyes. And remarriage may not be wise even if allowed. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, because of the hardness of your heart, your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You know, for us to accept divorce as God's people just because it is in existence or just because a government authority has established it. It's kind of like the the conclusion of uh, Miracle on 34th Street, right? If if you haven't seen that movie, you can go home and repent and watch it. But so the, the whole, it all boils down to Santa is on trial. And the judge has to decide, is this man Santa Claus or not? And coincidentally, at the same time, as the trial is going on and it's getting all sorts of publicity and such, coincidentally, the post office there, uh, one worker says to another, he says, hey, you know this huge pile of mail to Santa that we have that we can't figure out what to do with and it's just piling up back in the mail room? If Santa Claus is down, you know, supposedly the guy down and being uh, downtown in the courthouse, if that's Santa Claus, why don't we just deliver it to him? And they say, hey, that's a great idea. So right there in the middle of the trial, all these mailbags come in and start dumping onto the defenders, the defendants are onto the, the judge's uh, desk there. And so the, the conclusion of the movie is, as the judge declares, if, if a government authority of the U.S. Postal Service has decided that this man is Santa Claus by delivering these letters to him, then I must agree with and declare this man is Santa Claus. I mean, it's a great movie and stuff, but, but if you think about it, how many things would get really whacked out because of that, right? I mean, right now we have people deciding if the, if the court says this man is actually a woman, who am I to argue, right? Uh, you could, you could uh, have a lot of things get pretty whacked out in that way. But it's obviously ridiculous for a court to decide that Santa Claus exists or that a person is Santa Claus just because a mailroom decides to dump all the letters on him at that particular time. And similarly, it's ridiculous for us to decide that two people are no longer married in God's eyes because of the decree of a court. And that is a big thing that Jesus is communicating here, a big principle here. 
let me let me explain this with a picture that I have here. This is kind of a, a picture that I would use to in premarital counseling to kind of understand. Uh, ignore the ball and chain uh, uh, image. That's not what's intended here. Okay. <clears throat> but these spheres here represent uh, a man and woman who are committing to and have committed to be married. And the connection between them represent the covenant that is made. And the covenant of marriage is not just between two people. Uh, the reason why uh, it is held uh, uh, most often in a church the reason why it is, it is officiated most often by a pastor, the reason why gathered together are witnesses, is because the covenant of marriage is between three people. It is between the bride and the groom and God. And, and what Jesus is communicating here by saying, even if the divorce decree should take place, if the person goes and marries another person, they commit adultery, except in the case of sexual immorality. He is describing this situation where, where that uh, connection, if you can move to the next slide, that, is, that has been done. There, there might be a dissolution of that covenant between husband and wife, but Jesus is warning Watch out. In God's eyes, the two are still married. God has not severed his end of the covenant. We can't really understand this subject until we understand marriage, of course. And I want to challenge you then, as we go move further with this, look at the one flesh of marriage as God sees it. And we'll come back to this picture. Jesus further explains in verse 32 of chapter 5, just as he does in the same way in Matthew 19, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, is, is he picking on the wife here? No, and if you notice in uh, Matthew 19, it's the husband that is described as committing adultery. But in this situation, who is to blame for the woman's adultery if she remarries? Notice, it's the husband that sent her away. But again, the assumption is that she would have to get remarried in that culture in order to be supported, in order to not be destitute. But notice the second husband is also considered to have become an adulterer. Why is that? Because in God's eyes, even though there's been a decree of divorce, even though the legal separation has happened on the horizontal level, in God's eyes, she is still married. Presumably, the husband would also be considered to be an adulterer who sent her away if he should go on and get remarried. But, but what is the only grounds for remarriage without being considered adultery? Sexual immorality. And the point I make here is that we need to look at the one flesh of marriage as God sees it. That might be stated better, the, the sexual union of one flesh of marriage. We need to look at that as God sees it. And the sexual immorality that is the only justification, or, or I shouldn't say justification, the sexual immorality which is what God sees as breaking that covenant, 
is that of fornication. Sex outside of marriage. And it might be that the husband finds that, as I mentioned, that his betrothed was unfaithful to them during their engagement in the Jewish culture. Or it might be that the husband discovered that his wife had stepped out on him. And again, we're talking about the husband finding this in the wife simply because Jesus is speaking in that cultural setting in which it was the husband that was issuing the decree of divorce. Matthew 19, after Jesus takes them back to God's original commands, the Jewish leader asks, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus responds again by taking them to the beginning. From the beginning, this was not so, he says. Recall, Jesus is explaining why they should not rely on God's concession due to man's sin. He chooses to take them back to the, God's original design. And, God, and Jesus takes them to the truth that predates divorce, the design for oneness in marriage. Just as a side note, I want to say, Whatever cultural situation you are debating, whatever cultural situation you are wondering about or, or being asked about, however our culture is, is redefining, re-explaining relationships or gender or sexual identity or anything like that, you are safest going back to Genesis 1 and starting there. And that's what God redeems. But speaking of the one flesh of marriage, we see that it is far more binding than a social contract. Speaking of that, that sexual union of one flesh that is intended for marriage, it is far more binding than a social contract is what Jesus is saying here. Rather than arguing over what the law states or what the concession was, Jesus reminds them of what God says. He mentions in Matthew 19, what God has joined together, let not man separate. If you're uh, continuing with us in our Bible reading program, and listen, if you haven't started it or if you get behind, don't feel like you got to catch up, all right? Um, but we, we read this past week, we moved into Genesis and we see at the end of Genesis 2, God's design. And the man and the wife were naked and were unashamed. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That's the situation, God's original design of marriage that, that Jesus refers back to in Matthew 19. Marriage is not just a social contract. And a social contract, as I mentioned, it's like I'm going to keep up my end of the bargain as long as you keep up your end of the bargain. But if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, then I'm going to go and find my attorney and find a reason why I can get out of this contract. See, our culture thinks that marriage is a contract the same way in Jesus' time the Jews were treating it. Marriage is intended as a covenant between a man and a woman. A covenant, not a contract. And it is intended to be unbroken. So what breaks the covenant of marriage? Sexual immorality. 
so back to our picture here. So God's design is that the two, the bride and groom, the husband and the wife, become actual, become one flesh, become a new substance, a solution, if you will, in their coming together. And, and that is what binds them together. And even if, as I mentioned before, even if a divorce decree says you are no longer married, there needs to be, they need to be very careful with that. Because remarriage can amount to adultery because God could very likely still see them as married together. But what does break in a unique way is sexual immorality. Often in adultery. In that situation, why is it that God says they are free to remarry? Because just as the sexual union of one flesh brings two people together in a unique way, the sexual union of stepping out of that marriage breaks that union in God's eyes. Now, nowhere in Scripture does God say, therefore, you must get divorced. And that speaks volumes. And it should speak volumes. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 19 as well when he says, But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and makes another and marries another commits adultery. As one writer says, marriage is a permanent physical union that can be broken only by a physical cause, death or sexual sin. Man cannot break the union, but God can. Why would it be that a married person is free to divorce and remarry if their spouse were to commit adultery? It's because the union that comes from sex is simply that powerful, and it is not to be played with. This leads us to look at how the one flesh of marriage is to be and see that it is much deeper than a social contract. Jesus states in Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And then, as I mentioned, he quotes Genesis 2. Therefore a man leaves his, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage, as I've said, is a covenant in which God takes the male and the female and makes them one. And together they are a better, they are best able to reflect his image. <clears throat> I was asked about that recently. You know, Genesis uh, 2 tells us that God made man in his own image, male and female, he made them. In the image of God, he made them. So, so in bringing male and female together in marriage, God is reflecting his image more fully. And what Satan is doing in our culture today with divorce and with homosexual marriage is he is he is causing two people that come together in homosexual marriage to be bound in a way that limits them that they are not able 
to reflect God's image as they were created to do. Because we were created through God's design of creation and marriage to reflect his image as he brings male and female together in his name. The union that comes from sex is only meant to be held in under the binding covenant of marriage because it is a union that is not dissolved. And it's because the union which comes from sex is such that two people become one flesh. And also the union is thus unbreakable, unable to be unmixed. This is... This is True of the sexual union that takes place in marriage or outside of marriage. This is why Paul warns in Corinthians about this when he says, He who joins to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So so the, the understand from this is this is why we are reflecting on the the power of the sexual union here as it is spoken of, that this is the reason why we must stay away from fornication outside of marriage or adultery. That is is uh, a sexual union with someone else's spouse. Fornication is the twisting of God's original design. And it can be difficult to be made whole again. Because of it. Now I'm going to tell you. And I say this also. Because. I want you to know. There is redemption. God is in the redeeming business. You know. So. I committed fornication. At age 15. And God transformed me so much that by age 16, I had called this girl up and said, God has changed my life, and I just want to tell you, and I want to apologize and ask your forgiveness for how I treated you. I share that with you because I know that these truths can be painful. They can be difficult because they are a mirror on our past. But God's grace is redeeming. It rebuilds us. One writer says, sinful situations sometimes make it possible to implement the impossible. I'm sorry, let me start that. Sinful situations sometimes make it impossible to implement the ideal. And as such, cases... In such cases, we may have to choose between courses, none of which leaves room for no regret. But the deal is, is when it comes to, well, let me me say, I decided something, I needed to bring a piece of duct tape here today. I needed to fix something with duct tape. So rather than bringing my roll of duct tape, uh, stupidly, I just decided to take off a piece of duct tape, right, and bring it with me. Well, what do you think happened? 
here's my piece of duct tape, right? Uh, stuck to itself in several different places. And when this happens, what do you do? You, just, you get another piece of duct tape out, right? And here's the sad situation in our culture, and it was the situation in the Jewish culture when it came to divorce and remarriage, but it's a sad situation in our culture more so prior to marriage and outside of marriage. This is how people are treating their sexuality. This is how people are treating the sexual union, which happens whether we want it to or not, in fornication. This is what happens in the sexual uh, union when we try to separate in divorce. And sometimes it just has to happen. But we need to recognize this to be so. It takes a lot to separate these two again. In fact, this isn't really a good example. A better example would probably be a chemical reaction or the creation of an alloy from two types of metal because it becomes something completely different from the two being combined. Before I close, let me clarify something. I am not saying that a person is obligated or even encouraged to divorce an unfaithful spouse. Because we are a people of redemption. And redemption can be beautiful. I, I, I think, again, I, you've, you've heard it from me so many times. One of my favorite Andrew Peterson lines, if I can remember it. Maybe it's a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken and redeemed by love. Maybe that's a better thing than never, never having sinned. To be broken and redeemed by love. The marriage covenant is a picture to the world of God's new covenant of salvation. The marriage covenant is intended to show how God at great sacrifice to himself, found his bride and became her husband and redeemed her. And, and how the husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church. And the wife is to, to respect and, and, and submit to her husband the way the church submits to Christ. It is a picture of the gospel. Here's what Albert Moeller says. The way our churches treat divorce as a minor matter is a scandal, not only to the church but to the gospel. Because we, when we lie about marriage, we lie about the gospel because marriage is the metaphor for the gospel. If we are people who say we worship God, who if... If by his very essence and moral character is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and then we do not keep our own covenants, we lie. We make God a liar. The sociological consequence of divorce, the sociologists can count up. The theological consequences of divorce are massive. There is a problem in our world. Do not follow the world's opinions about anything that undoes Genesis 1 through 2. 
And the devastation that we see happening to marriage, happening to um, sexuality, happening to the, the home and the family flows from throwing out God's original design. But understand that Jesus, just as Jesus corrects the understanding in our passage, God can correct the direction of our lives. God redeems. God makes something new. God works his grace. And God guides us through these decisions as well. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for the direction of your word. Thank you, Lord God, that Jesus doesn't mince words. Thank you, Lord God, for redemption. For reconciliation. Thank you, Lord God, for for breaking and redeeming by love. Lord God, if any one of my friends here is walking in relationship with you and is, is, is uh, walking in redemption, Lord God, I pray that you would protect them from any sort of sense of guilt or condemnation that the enemy try, might try to heap on them because of their past. Lord, thank you that you make us new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And you work on us from that point forward. Allow us to have grace with one another as, as well. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.